Hey there, City Gators and friends. My name is Vic. Um, it's been a while since I've uh, you know preached to camera like this. Uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, Toby, Ryan, and and Mike has has done that. And the reason is some of us, some City Gators, we were traveling a little bit. Uh, we went to an advanced conference, uh, a North American conference, specifically to churches on the East Coast um, that uh, that partner with Advance as kind of our family of churches. So it was great just to to be together, to be inspired, to to sit under ministry, to be refreshed. Uh, it was really good. Uh, the week before that, I actually was uh, traveling for personal reasons. I was able to run my first marathon. Uh, and unfortunately, last week, I was man down. I came back and um, had the flu. Um, and so uh, that's why I'm sounding a little groggy still for some reason. Uh, my nasal area passages, uh, they've not cleared up quite yet. So I'm still a little groggy and um, I trust it'll be okay. It might be a sniff here or there uh, as I'm preaching as well. Um, but yeah, we are back, uh, or I am back at least, um, in the second letter that Peter wrote. And uh, this week we're going to finish chapter 1. Um, I'm going to rewind a little bit. I know that these verses have been covered, but I'll probably start reading from verse 13. But we'll finish chapter 1 this week. And then next week we're going to do all of chapter 2. And then the following week we'll do, we'll do all of chapter 3. Now, if you've pre-read Second uh, Peter as you know a good city gator, you would have realized actually that chapter two, as well as chapter three, each of those chapters deal with one sort of big idea, one major theme. And so, um, you know, as I've looked at uh, what's what's ahead of us, I think it's best for us just to focus on all of the verses in chapter two next week, and then all of the verses in chapter three. So it's a lot of scriptures that we'll read, but it's one big idea coming through in each of those. And that means that actually the end of November, we'll be done with the second letter uh, that Peter wrote. So we'll be done with that little series. Um, and it means December, we can give ourselves to, to the season of Advent. And so we'll give you some more information on what you can expect on Sundays. And of course, what we're going to do together as a church over Christmas. Because again, these times are always uh, amazing opportunities for us to invite people along uh, to our gatherings, whether it's in person or invite them along to something that we uh, will put up online. Um, but that's just a little heads up in terms of what you can expect over the next couple of weeks. So um, let's get straight into it. Uh, I'm going to back up, as I said, to verse 13. So if you do have your Bibles with you, remember, this is the old school, new school initiative. I'd love for you to turn with me there if you can. We'll read just initially verse 13 and 15, and we'll stop. We'll talk a bit, and we'll carry on reading. So uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So he starts off here in verse 13 um, by, you know, saying, as long as I'm in my body, uh, and that is a reference to his physical body. Actually, the word over there, as you may have heard uh, in previous weeks, actually refers to the word tent. Um, and so the question I want to ask just right up front is, what is your version of as long as I'm in my body, as long as I'm alive, in a sense, in, in you know, this side of, of heaven, this side of, of, uh, of um, you know, restoration that Jesus promises? What is your ver version of that? Because he's obviously pretty 
passionate. He's, he's, he's committed to stirring up. He says, you know, as long as, long as I'm in my body, I'm committed to, to stirring you up. I'm going to make every effort, as he says, to, to remind you of these things. There's a real sense of urgency. Now, of course, we know it's the end of Peter's life. Um, you know, he, he even admits here that the Lord has spoken to him that, you know, it's not going to be long and then he's going to be gone. So, so um, uh, you know, what, what is it that you and I prioritize? How are we living our lives? If we look at, at Peter, you know, penning these last few words to a bunch of people that he cares for, um, wh what does our life look like? Our life that, that, in a sense, is a letter too that people can, uh, you know, w watch and, and learn from. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we do prioritize earthly things because it's clear here that, that Peter is obviously, you know, he, he's made the gospel and the message of Jesus uh, and, and the proclamation of that central to his life. Uh, and so often we don't make that central to our lives because maybe we don't see, first of all, our, you know, bodies as tense, perhaps, the way that, that, uh, that Peter is seeing it. Peter knows that actually, uh, you know, this tabernacle, in a sense, is another word that's sometimes used. Um, and it, that's even the word that's used of Jesus when it says that, you know, God became flesh. He, he tabernacled amongst us. Jesus put on a body, you know, God put on a body, became human. Um, and, and, uh, and it's amazing that, you know, of course, that body was broken. He died. But then he was resurrected. He got a restored, renewed body. And that's what we can look forward to. And if you fast forward uh, in, in 2 Peter, you know, there are moments here where, I think it's in chapter 3, where Peter is saying, you know, there's a new heavens and a new earth coming. And of course, that we will have new bodies. But that means this body is an old one. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a temporary one. And so often, when we don't see that, we don't have that proper perspective, we can give ourselves to earthly things because we think this is all I have. This is all I can look forward to. Let me, let me milk the days. Let me try and, you know, let me eat this food. Let me, let me travel to this destination. Uh, let me experience all the pleasures that this side, uh, you know, of, of, uh, of heaven uh, would afford me. Because you think that this is not a tent. You think this is, you know, a, a final uh, and a kind of your only hope. And, uh, and I think that's why um, Peter could give himself to these priorities um, and, uh, and, and give these strong final words. And, you know, he says that the, his body will be kind of put off soon. He's like, you know, pack up this tent, you know, uh, uh, this, this chapter of my life uh, will be done with pretty soon. But later on, as we'll see in chapter three, he actually talks about time a little bit and how we interpret what takes long and what, what, what it happens quickly. And he kind of redefines it a bit. And if you think about, you know, eternity past and, and eternity, you know, into the future um, and, and the way that God has worked throughout history, um, actually the life that we have is not as long as we think it is. You know, it's like a brief burp in eternity, really. And, and, and so you might say, yeah, but when I get to the end of my life, okay, that's when I'll kind of, you know, step into final word moments. You know, that's when I'll, I'll, I'll really prioritize Jesus and I'll prioritize the gospel. Let me just have my fun right now. And, and when I get to the end of my life, you know, I'll serious up a little bit. Uh, and actually, Peter, as you, we will continue to read, uh, is actually saying sh you shouldn't live like that. I mean, in fact, he talks about, you know, when, the day, you know, when Jesus comes, he'll come like a thief in the night. I don't want to preach my message and I'm going to preach uh, uh, weeks from now. But, but the point I'm trying to make is, don't fall into the trap also that you think, oh, you've got time. 
Actually, life is short. I mean, if anything, this last two years where we've just seen, you know, the death toll uh, uh, rise up uh, as a result of, of, uh, of something like COVID, like a virus that, that made its way into, onto planet Earth um, unexpectedly. Um, you know, like, like, like every day, you, you have no, no clue what's around the corner. And so every day we should have a, a sense of ur urgency where we go, as long as I'm in my body for another day that I have to breathe, to live, I'm going to focus on God's kingdom. I'm going to prioritize his kingdom and put him first and not these other things first. Because I realize that actually a new heavens and a new earth is, is coming my way. Whatever I don't get to do now, I will get to experience joy uh, in the presence of Jesus you know, for all eternity. So you don't have to cram it all in here and actually put God on the back burner. I hope this point has come through. And you know, I am, um, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he carries on in verse 15. He says, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And so it's not just that he prioritized, you know, the moments that he's been alive, but he's thinking about the next generation. He's thinking about what he will leave behind. He wants the people to be able to recall what he has left with them. Um, when he's gone, he's asking the question, what will be remembered? What will they be able to recall? And it's quite amazing because his bucket list isn't about him. You know, if you know it's a, you're about to go, you remember that? I think it's, there's a movie about that as well, you know, um, uh, about, you know, a bucket list. And, and you know, he, he's not thinking about squeezing in things uh, in, into his life that he might not get to do. He's just thinking about the next generation. He's just thinking about them and not himself. I think that's incredible. You know, and I'm starting to think a little bit about the reality that my kids uh, or some of my kids, at least now, in the next couple of years, will start to leave my house, you know, one, one at a time. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, 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 an, it's amazing how you, you start to think about all the things that you've said and you've taught now that the end of them living in your house is in sight. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of too late for me to try and uh, cram in kind of last minute lessons uh, and, and things that I think I may have omitted over the last decade or so. Uh, you know, it's, it's not really the time for me to try and squeeze it all in right now, you know, in the 16, 17, 18 year old. Of course, I'm still parenting, I'm still present, but, but it's like I had, I had an opportunity. To, to do that. And, and now is actually the moment to see, well, those things that I've invested in, those things that we've said as, as parents, you know, is it going to start take, you know, bearing fruit because it's taken root, because we've cultivated that. Uh, and, and Peter is not, he's not doing that. He doesn't have that worries. He's actually saying, look, I've said what I've needed to say over and over again. In fact, right now, I'm just reminding you, he's not coming with any new information. He's been faithful with the days God's given him with these people. He's like, he's saying, I'm going to just remind you, you know these things already. Okay, and so I'm going to make sure that you don't forget them. He's not giving them new stuff. He has actually made the most of his years up until now. And why is he doing this? Why is he trying to remind, remind them? Why is he putting so much emphasis on that? Well, if we read in verse 16 here, he says, You know, we did not follow cleverly devised, devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so this is one of the reasons why he's trying to remind them, because he's saying there are some cleverly devised, devised myths out there, um, some false teachings that will continue to and is, is currently challenging the legitimate, 
the legit, that's not a word by the way, the legitimacy, there we go, that's the word, the legitimacy of the gospel. There are cleverly devised myths. And in chapter 2, he, he's laying the foundation now for false teachers that, that are coming in, false prophets that are coming in. And so he's reminding them of the truth. Um, and, and, uh, and we'll dive into you know, those false things in chapter 2 and 3 uh, more in coming weeks. But the first thing that he's trying to say is that, number one, he's like, guys, I was there. I was there. And, and maybe you are doubting yourself, the authenticity and the legitimacy, I got it right this time, uh, the, the legitimacy of the gospel. Uh, and I want you to hear us out. I want you to hear, hear me out. That th the Bible uh, is filled with eyewitnesses, the New Testament, the, the gospels, and some of the letters that, that's written in the New Testament. These are written by or, or written down uh, 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 from eyewitness accounts. Uh, and, and Peter is saying it here in verse 16. He's like, you know, we were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty. If you know the backstory of Peter, he was one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus called him. He walked with Jesus for three years. He saw him crucified. He saw him resurrected. He saw him ascended into heaven. Um, uh, this is an eyewitness. And, and so he's saying, guys, I want you to, to not get sidetracked with these cleverly devised myths because I've been there. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've touched him with my hands. I've been with him. Jesus is Lord. He's, he's real. This is the point he's trying to make. And if you are investigating the claims and teachings of Jesus, this is probably one of the things that you will discover. It's remarkable. Um, it's not cleverly, cleverly devised uh, myths and, and schemes made up. These are eyewitnesses' accounts. And so let's read verses uh, 16 up to 18 now again. We've already read 16, but we'll read it again. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so here, Peter is using, you know, his eyewitnesses, his eyewitness testimony, in a sense, as a trump card against these false teachers that we'll, you know, discover more about in chapter two. And you see other disciples, you know, John, uh, who was one of the three, Peter, James, and John. John wrote one of the Gospels. He wrote some other letters in the New Testament as well. They all do the same thing because they're like, hey, listen, we saw, we, we, we've, we, we were there. Um, and so he uses his eyewitness testimony as this trump card. Uh, and he says, we ourselves heard. So he's not just saying me, but he's saying there's an, there are alibis. There are others too. And if, if you look at other, you know, uh, verses of scripture, you know, especially in Corinthians, you know, there's, there's, a, there's accounts, they're saying it wasn't just one or two, but hundreds of people. And many of them, when this was written, were still alive. So you could go verify it, you know. Um, and so uh, he understands that, yes, there is truth about the gospel, but sometimes people do need proof. And, you know, with the, 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 the readers of this letter in its time knew Peter. It was recent. 
that did the crucifixion and the ascension and the, you know the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus took place. Um, but of course, we are now 2,000 years later. And so where does the proof come in for us? Well, there's something called textual criticism. That's the science that we use today to determine whether you know these were eyewitnesses accounts. And so I don't have time to get into it, but if you're a critic of the gospel of Christianity, if you're skeptical, I want to uh, encourage you to have a look at the, the science of textual criticism and look at the letters of the New Testament. Look at the, the Old Testament writings and, and see for yourself how credible this is because of the eyewitnesses um, and, and the historical uh, aspects that we get to read about here. And so, uh, yes, Peter, I've said it a few times now, he walked with Jesus for a few years, but he focuses on one particular account in this verse, one in-person account. That, that he had with Jesus. And that is the account on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, you can find that in Matthew chapter 17, uh, Mark chapter 9, and also in Luke chapter 9. Uh, all three accounts there speak of this moment that Peter is writing about. Um, and in verse 17, you know, he says, uh, Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You know, in those gospel accounts, God also said, I'm not just pleased with him, I want you to listen to him. I want you to listen to Jesus, pay attention. Um, and uh, uh, what is the backstory of this, um, you know, glory and this majestic glory that is referenced here in verse 17? What on earth is Peter talking about? Because remember, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the transfiguration speaks, speaks of what happened to Jesus when they were up there. Uh, um, you know, two Old Testament characters appeared alongside Jesus. Uh, and, and it says Jesus' clothes started to shine so brightly, brighter than any bleach on earth could, could, could make them white. You know, he was just shining this brilliant light. He was transformed. There was clearly glory at work over there. And, and the backstory of this Glory. You can find actually in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23, that it, you know what happened was there was Moses, you know, was about to lead the Israelites, you know, into freedom, and and he didn't want to go without God's presence. And he's like, Lord, please show me your glory. Please don't. Please come with me. And then God, in His kindness, said, Okay, I will. I will show you my glory, but um, you can't see my face and live. And so what I'm going to do? I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock and my glory will pass by before you, but you'll only be able to see my back because no one can see my face and live. Uh, and, and so already in there, there's a picture of the gospel that actually, you know, we are not consumed by God's glory when we are hidden in the rock of the ages, Jesus Christ. You know, that's one of the, 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 the words described of who he is. He's, the, he's that foundation, that cornerstone. Uh, and so when we are in Christ, in, in a sense, we were like Moses in the, the cleft of the rock, protected so that the glory of God wouldn't consume us. So that's, that's, that's what happened in that moment. And then later on in Exodus, man, I'm really struggling here. In Exodus 34, uh, you know, when, when God was continuing to speak to Moses and giving him instructions for the people, it says that when he came down the mountain, you know, and a glory cloud came down and God spoke with him. Uh, um, and when he came down, it says his face shone. That actually people said, no, cover your face, you know, because he was, he was shining. When he was in God's presence and in God's glory, there was this radiance, this light that, that took place. So some of that, you know, gives us clues as to this, this mountain experience that Peter and his, his friends had with Jesus over there. 
And it's amazing, one of the other disciples, John, who was with Peter on the mountain, John writes this in his gospel in the beginning, John 1 verse 14. He talks about Jesus that became flesh. Remember I referenced earlier to, to, uh, to our you know, bodies being like tents and and Peter writes about his body as a tent. It says Jesus became flesh. Actually, the, the, the original says he tabernacled amongst us. He, he pitched a tent. You know, he took on, on flesh. And, it's, and he says there, um, it's, uh, John writes, he says, we have seen his glory, right? God's glory. Uh, uh, but, and in, in 1 verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So, so again, there's this reference to, to uh, you know, Moses where God said to him, you cannot see my face and live. And then John is saying, no, but God came and, and took on flesh, Jesus Christ. And it says, no one's ever seen God, but the only God, referring to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, Jesus, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, Jesus is on the right, at the right hand of the Father. The only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known. And that is why in 2 Corinthians, verse 4 to 6, I'll read it for you now. Paul writes there, he says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, so the story is that you, you, you can't see, experience God's glory in fullness without actually uh, there being some problems, you know. And then the New Testament story of God coming to us, uh, uh, you know, through this, the, the, the Father coming to us, well, Jesus coming to us, um, uh, God in the flesh, and us being able to, to experience His glory. Look, look, at, look at God in the face of Jesus. See the when people ask Jesus, what's the Father like? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's amazing that actually we don't have that Moses a problem anymore where, where, we, where, we, where we don't get to see uh, the glory of God. But Jesus has made it possible for us to see. And this is what, this is what Peter is referring to there. He's like, we have seen his glory. Uh, you know, in, in the face of Jesus, we've walked with it. And, and now you and I can experience that as well. That's what Jesus opened for us. And so this is the first reminder he's saying, man... I've seen Jesus, you know, I was there. I've got the t-shirt in a sense. And I've seen him in his glory. And now you, through the Spirit, through, through becoming Christians, through trusting in what Christ has done for you, you too can experience the presence and the glory of the Father through Jesus and in the face of Jesus and through the presence of his Spirit. It's ours now as well. Wow, that's, that's amazing. But then his second reminder is that it's not just that he was there, is that it is also written about Jesus. There, there are scriptures and prophecies and, and, and many, many uh, uh, predictions in the Old Testament about this as well. So let's read from verse 19. And he says, uh, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
Uh, actually, don't worry about verse 20. We're just going to look at verse, uh, let me just make sure. Yeah, verses 19 to 20. Yeah, I, I, I read correctly. We'll stop there. We'll read verse 21 when I'm finished. Sorry, guys. I'm a little rusty, as I said. So, uh, verses 19 to 20 talks here about uh, what has been predicted about Jesus uh, through the scriptures. Now, when Peter writes this, he's referring primarily to the Old Testament, uh, or not just the New Testament letters. Later on here, he refers to some of Paul's letters. He even credits them as scripture. So I'm not saying it's void of New Testament writings, but primarily he's talking about the, what is written about Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, you know, people um, love to discover ancient treasures. They love to discover uh, uh, things of old with amazing backstories. It kind of opens our eyes. You know, we peer back into history and they take these things and they put them in museums and they protect them, uh, their, their heritage, because actually it tells us amazing story and they are of great value as well. They protect them too because they are costly, these things. You can't replace them. You can't manufacture them. That's what it's like to find an ancient treasure, something really old. And friends, I want to tell you that this... This is one of those things. But you don't have to go to a museum. You don't have to go to some, you know, highly protected uh, place to experience a, a, some of the, this ancient treasure that we have. This is what we have in the scriptures. This is the, the value of the gospel. And, and in fact, the gospel isn't just, you know, we're reading Peter's words here. You know, it's kind of like 2,000 years old. Uh, and, 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 you know, Jesus walked the face of the earth uh, 2,000 years ago or so. This is not like the gospel is 2,000 years old. Actually, if you take what Peter is saying here seriously, it's telling us it's way older. It dates back all the way to the days of Adam and Eve, thousands and thousands of years ago. And we see... The, the gospel coming through, predictions about Jesus, the Messiah, coming through, you know, chapter after chapter as we continue to read. In, in the life of Abraham, we see it pop up. We see the accounts with Isaac and with Jacob and with Moses, as I've read here uh, in Exodus 33, and, and with David. And, and then, you know, look at all the minor and the major prophets and all the other books in the, in the Old Testament. It actually is all about Jesus. And so I want to, first of all, just encourage you, even as a skeptic, perhaps, you know, you think, oh, this book, what, what is this book? Man, this is an incredible book, ancient treasure that we get to hold in our hands. And I think the more we understand the gospel's historic beauty, it will leave a mark on our present days and it will provide us fuel for the future days that we are to live out. Uh, he is, he, he, you know, Peter here is talking about the, the treasure of the scriptures that that speak of Jesus and and he says I want you to pay attention let me find that for you he says it in uh, um, yeah, verse 19 you know halfway through uh, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart so he's saying pay attention pay attention to prophecy you'll do well to do that you know, do a study and see all the messianic pro pro prophecies that are so specific about the life of Jesus. It's interesting when Peter went up the mount with his friends and Jesus was transfigured. On their way down, actually, you know, Jesus, just before that, he started teaching his disciples about his fate. That the Old Testament, you know, the scriptures spoke about, you know, him being 
murdered and handed over and crucified, but then that he would rise from the death dead, dead again. Uh, and on the way down, they started talking about, you know, what was written about the Son of Man, which was code for, for Jesus. Um, uh, so Jesus was already, even in them coming down the mountain, was saying, have you thought about the Scriptures and their significance and what they point to and what they uh, write about? And you know what's so amazing about you and me? Is what they saw in part. So even those prophecies and those accounts where God broke through history uh, in the Old Testament and the Scriptures, they saw only in part. They prophesied about a future. You and I, we have seen the whole thing come together, unfold. Yes, there's some unfulfilled prophecy that we can still look forward to. There's some hope ahead of us. But friends, we, we, we see this in full. They would... And were, and you know, I think it's even in in First Peter. You know, uh, it speaks about, about about they longed to see what you and I have seen in full. Man, what treasure we have! See this as treasure, like a lamp shining in a dark place. He says, "Is are these um, these 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 scriptures that we have?" And we know that there's darkness around us. And it's not not fun to walk around in the dark. It's dangerous to walk around in the dark. And the days are darkening. I I, I fully believe that. We can see it in our culture. And the challenge is pick up your lamp. Pick up your lamp. Know the scriptures. Read God's word. Let this be a lamp unto your feet, a guide unto your path. Without this, you're in danger. You know, Peter is reminding them, come on. You've got the scriptures. This is, this is so wonderful. And, and so let's, let's read the last two verses together. Uh, or the last verse. Yeah, well, last two. He says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so in these two verses, he speaks of, you know, A how the scriptures were inspired, these amazing scriptures. In contrast, of course, to the false teachers who actually degenerate the scriptures, you know, they, 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 um, they don't value it in the ways that I've described over here, that it's such treasure. And I love how the Bible Project puts it, you know, they say the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus, one unified story that leads to Jesus. And, you know, you've got to see the Holy Spirit's work in putting the scriptures together for us. You have to see it because um, uh, it's incredible. 40 authors contributed to the 66 books in the Bible. And they were written over the span of 1,500 to 2,000 years, depending on how you'd like to date it. And, and the Bible Project, as, as we would agree, tells us that those 40 authors, these 66 books written over 1,500 to 2,000 years, is actually one unified story about Jesus. That is incredible. That is testament to the Holy Spirit at work, invisibly directing these authors. And, and, he, and, and the word that is using here to be carried along by the Spirit is the same word that is used as a, as a ship is carried along by the wind using its sails. You want, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that Scripture is God-breathed. So there's a sense that the wind of the Holy Spirit was at work through these human authors. And amazingly, not overriding their personalities, not, not you know, changing their knowledge, but, but giving them revelation, 
not changing the context that they write in, the backgrounds that they have, the vocabulary uh, or their style of writing, so, each of these so unique. And yet the Holy Spirit is weaving through the unified story of Jesus and the gospel um, and the grand narrative of what God is doing in history all through that. that. That is profound. It's the word of God in the words of human beings. That's amazing. Doesn't it make you want to dive into God's word even more? And then lastly, not just he's speaking there of how the scriptures were inspired, but also how the scriptures needs to be interpreted. And I think he's saying, you know, as interpreted by these apostles, these 12 uh, uh, men that, that and, and, and perhaps some ones like Paul, you know, he says that he's abnormally added to that list, just given divine revelation, uh, you know, the first uh, uh, while after the ascension of Jesus to pen and to write scripture. Actually, the way that they have written for us is for us to teach as these eyewitness accounts of Jesus and his glory, of his life, death, and his resurrection and ascension. We, we would do well to interpret the scriptures uh, you know, with their help. I think that's what he's trying to get uh, to as well. As opposed to, again, the false teachers who are actually rejecting parts of scriptures and rejecting the, the, the scriptures as being inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, he's laying the foundation for chapter two. Uh, we'll get into that next week um, uh, because actually these guys, they want to take the edge off the gospel. They want to just, you know, cherry pick scriptures. They want to pre pre uh, um, preach a less offensive gospel. Um, and so they want to remove parts of the Bible saying, oh, that's not of God or that's not that we, we you know, we don't want that. And actually the warning Peter is giving us here is that when you start to do that, you start to end up with a Jesus that looks very different to the one that he witnessed in full glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, I even think about John, John, who, who was one of Peter's friends who went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, saw Jesus transformed, you know, walked, walked alongside him for years. Then he writes at the end, the book of Revelation, he has this vision of Jesus, this, this majestic king, you know, with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth and, you know, eyes like, like blazing fire. I mean, just, just this, this terrifying image of this conquering king. He, you know, Peter and I guess John and, you know, all the disciples, this warning saying, if you remove the truth, if you remove the scriptures, if you, if you deny its, its inspiration, you end up with a Jesus that doesn't look like that. Not a transfigured, glorious Jesus, but some Jesus that looks actually more like you and me. Some watered down version that will not save, that will not redeem, that will not bring judgment and righteousness as we long for. Will not make things right. I think that's the point he's trying to make here. And that's all I want to say. <laughs> Let me see, how did I do? I think I did okay, uh, time-wise. So um, yeah, I want to encourage you this week to get into the scriptures, you know, and if you are exploring the claims and teachings of Jesus, reach out to someone at City Gates. We'd love to talk to you about it. We'd love to give you some more resources. But man, this is amazing that we get to read words from eyewitnesses like Peter, and we, we get to see the Holy Spirit's inspiration uh, in, in, in the scriptures, speaking of from days of old, thousands of years, of, of years ago, about Jesus, about his coming, and then seeing it happen, and then seeing the implications of his coming in the rest of the New Testament. Man, these things are worth knowing, investigating, reading, loving, digesting, uh, and, and you know, ultimately 
be like Peter, where he says, for as long as I'm in this body, I'm going to make that a priority. Would you make that a priority in your life as well? For as long as you are in your tent, in your body, in Jesus' name, have a great day. God bless.